Hello there, and welcome to Avatar, the podcast. I am co-host Booster Greg. We're very, very monotone today. I don't know why. <laughs> and I am co-host Acorn Bandit. Good. We're going to do the entire episode just like this. Just kidding. Welcome on <laughs> in, everyone. We missed you so much. Today, we're going to be talking about book three, episode six, The Avatar and the Fire Lord, or as we like to call it, Roku's story. That's right. And before we dive in to this wonderful backstory of the previous incarnation of the Avatar, we got a few five-star reviews to read out here from the wonderful, wonderful people who decided to give us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. Remember, we could read your review if you like as well, if you leave it. And it has to be written because we can't read what's not written. Anyways. <laughs> yep. Acorn, who's the first one? The first one comes from Important Music Listener, which immediately makes me wonder, who who are they? Are they A-list? Important? They're important. Somehow? It's in the name. They're important. Who, who, who are they? Who are they, though? They're so important, we can never know their name. <laughs> they write, love this podcast so much. This podcast is so good, and the hosts break down Avatar so well and help explain. I thought I knew a lot about Avatar, but the hosts do a lot of research, and it is very well done. Their fun facts make you question how you look at the show and how well it was made. I love it. And it definitely is five star. Oh, thank you. It's so nice. Thank you so much. We do actually put a lot of time and effort into researching. So we're so happy you all enjoy it. Yes. And might I say thank you for allowing us to be in the upper echelon of music listeners by gracing us with your five star review. We appreciate it. (laughs) The next five star review comes from Shiny Tiger. And they write, thanks for making this podcast with three exclamation marks at the end. I love Avatar and you guys made me love it even more. Three exclamation marks. Wow. They must really mean it. They must really. I mean, four is too many. Sometimes three, just the right amount. Perfect. That's really nice. Like whenever anyone writes in and says, I love this series anyways, but like you are the cherry on top or like what you pointed out from three episodes ago, like I never considered, like those are always kind of like yeah. very justifying for me for the amount of time we spent on this show. <laughs> yep. We're so glad that we can help you all find another perspective to look at the show that you already love yes, through. Yes, yes. And it works both ways. This door opens and swings both ways, right? So there's plenty of times where someone writes in through Angmail or they message us or you know, they leave a review or, or one of the many avenues that someone can reach out to us and they say something like absolutely bonkers. And I'm like, I never considered that. Like when we were talking a few weeks ago on Avatar, someone brought up shipping Zuko and Sokka and I'd never considered yeah. that before. And it really kind of made me think about these characters in, in a different way. So we always appreciate that as much as we like to try to contribute to your enjoyment of the series Avatar, The Last Airbender and all of the universe we really appreciate when you do the same for us. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Our final review comes from Na 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 Come On, which I'm sure is a reference to a song. I just can't place it. It's gotta be. I just don't know what it is. Maybe important music listener knows it. Oh, music listener, let us know. (laughs) Na 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 Come On says, I need more. Hi guys, I'm a Spotify listener. And Spotify is like censored with a little star. Remember, I was, o is. I was saying this last week, everyone. It's already here. This review. I, <laughs> I just looked up those lyrics. It's a Rihanna song. Oh, is it? Uh, okay. I guess, yeah, that's what Google tells me. So hopefully I'm right. 
Hi, guys. I'm a Spotify listener, but I wanted to pop over to Apple Podcasts to leave a five-star review. I'm new to Team Avatar as I just finished the series less than a month ago. I immediately went looking for a podcast and found you guys first. I could not believe my luck to find such an endearing podcast on the first try. I cannot wait until you guys are back for season three. Well, guess what? We're there. We're back. We're six, five episodes, six episodes now into it. (laughs) We hope you've been enjoying the episode so far. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Again, if you want to get your five-star review read on the show, you can go ahead and leave that over at Apple Podcasts. Right now, like I said last week, we are going through the U.S. storefront. I don't know what you would call it. The U.S. uh, reviews. And then afterwards, we will go through... We've been looking at Canada, Great Britain, Australia, and so many more. So just to name a few. Germany, we see you over there too. Absolutely. Yep. So those will be read. And you can always email into us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com with the subject line being five star review. And that also counts for us as well because we love our Spotify listeners. Absolutely. Yes. And special thanks to Nanana for coming over from Spotify yes. to take the time to leave that review. We really appreciate so it. Thank appreciate you. It. Really. And we have been seeing the reviews rank up, at least on the US side. And we just want to let everyone know that we super appreciate it. Uh, whether you just found us a week or two ago or you've been listening to us since day one, which is now a year and a month ago, which is oh, wild. wild. Yeah, oh, my God. Wild. Almost at the year and two months ago, Mark. We're getting real close, but we appreciate each and every <laughs> one of you. Thank you all for writing and thank you all for finding us. And thank you especially to all of the patrons out there who are participating in the 100 year war. They've already gotten their first ever secret podcast episode. So hopefully you enjoyed that. I can't wait for number two. I love what we came up with. It's, they were so good. <laughs> I was so happy with both of them. It's just uh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. If you want to listen to that, you can always go over to patreon.com slash avatar the podcast and you can partake in the 100 year war or any of the other tiers above that to listen to that wonderful, wonderful secret podcast, if I do say so myself. But anyways, it's pretty wonderful. It's pretty wonderful. You know what else is wonderful? Uh, Avatar's Roku. Avatar Roku. History and uh, gossip about the old Fire Lord. Yes, that's right. And this particular gossip was written by Elizabeth Welsh. He has and was directed by Ethan Spalding. Imagine gossip that has a writer and a director. So good. Amazing. Amazing. Well funded. Mm-hmm. Our episode begins with a wall of flames. Avatar Roku emerges from the darkness and informs Aang that it is finally time for him to learn of Roku's history with Fire Lord Sozin. This will help the young Avatar to better understand how the war began and how to end it. Meet me on my home island on the day of the summer solstice, Roku says, and Aang agrees in his sleep, revealing the instructions to be part of a dream. Yeah, this was kind of a weird opening for an episode. I feel like nothing against Elizabeth because she's a wonderful writer and like many of my favorite episodes were written by her. But I feel like this was kind of tacked on in the beginning. Like they had this whole big thing planned, this big dramatic episode planned. They're like, but how do we like without just like cold opening, which I think they should have done. Just be like, all right, you figure it out, you know, like within 20 minutes or within 10, five, 10 minutes, it'll be an, a Roku story. Yeah. But they're just kind of like, no, put that in for the kids. And it's like, 
All right, fine. Yeah, you know, you saying that, I actually think that might be closer to the truth than you think it is. Mm -hmm. Because I was reading the team specifically noted that this was a very challenging episode because they were depicting not only various characters at different stages in their lives, there was extra time that they spent into the character design, but they were also trying to tell this epic story of Roku's life and Sozin's ultimate betrayal of him in 22 minutes. Yeah. So it is a little unusual for a kid's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that they put a lot of emphasis and a lot of time into structuring the story itself. And then they probably just ran out of time. They're like, all right, dream sequence. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's go. Apparently, Roku can only talk to Aang in dreams now. It's, I don't know. There's some things that I was like, I don't know if I like this, but like, yeah. I love this episode. Don't get me wrong, but there's those little details again that I'm like, eh, maybe could have done without this. Uh, I will say while I'm reading the synopsis, once we get into the Roku and Sozin kind of stuff, I'm going to leave out the parts where it's like, and then Aang turned over in his sleep and then Zuko turned the page on the scroll. Like, I'm just going to leave that out because it, for me, it kind of interrupted the flow of the series. Yeah. Let's focus on Roku and Sozin. That's the real good stuff. We joined Zuko. As I say that disclaimer, I'm going to let you know. This is one of the few times where I say we joined Zuko. <laughs> <laughs> we joined Zuko as he's also fast asleep in bed. His eyes suddenly open and he runs to his chamber door. He sees a figure cloaked in darkness sneak away from down the hall. Zuko is about to go after the shady figure, but notices a scroll on the ground. He picks it up and reads its contents. You need to know the story of your great-grandfather's demise. It will reveal your own destiny. Zuko stares down the hallway and glares at the darkness. So interesting, interesting. He gets a scroll that says, learn about your great-grandpa because you'll learn more about your own destiny. Hmm. Yeah. Who is sneaking through the hallways at night in the palace? Who's leaving him some suspicious... Interesting scrolls. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. You know, my first thought actually was that it was Ursa coming back to the palace to leave yeah. him a message, but I think she's long gone. Yeah. I don't think she's sneaking. I feel like if she was sneaking around the palace, she'd be found out pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. The next morning, Team Avatar makes their way to Roku's home under the guise of a cloud. Uh, when they land, Katara notes that there isn't anything on this island. It's just two volcanoes and it's it's pretty barren too. It's like dead. Mm-hmm. There's no green. Toph corrects the young waterbending master and tells the group that there is an entire village buried in ash. Back at the palace, Zuko is staring at a painting of Fire Lord Sozin. Azula walks by and makes a crack about painting Zuko's good side, but Zuko ignores his sister's jab and asks about her knowledge of their great-grandfather's history. Azula tells her brother that Sozin began the war and that he spent his early years secretly preparing for it. He was as patient as he was clever as he famously waited for the comet and used its power to launch his full-scale invasion on the world. When he died, he was a successful man. But how did he die, Zuko asks. Didn't you pay any attention in school, Zuko? He died peacefully in his sleep. He was ancient, his sister says as she walks off. Zuko continues to stare at the painting of his great-grandfather, frustrated but determined to get answers. Oh, man. I want to talk about these paintings because... First of all, they are absolutely gorgeous. Second of all, I find it pretty ironic that Ozai's painting has the most fire out of all of them. (laughs) (laughs) It seems appropriate. Very Mm -hmm. Ozai. Mm -hmm. But also the team specifically designed five different posters to represent the last five Fire Lords, but they never got around to naming the oldest two. So that means that they never came up with a name for them. So really, all we know from that wall are Sozin, 
Azulon, and Ozai. Mm. And as we're going to see throughout the rest of this episode, this is the most complex episode of the series yeah. and had the most background designs of any episode. They went all out with this one. For sure. And funny enough, on the director's commentary for this, they had um, Zuckerman, who is the composer, and they had a, one of the sound, I think it was like the head sound designer. They didn't have any of the art department. In there. Oh my God. I was like, come on. I want to hear all about these backgrounds. I want to hear all about like the production. I want to even maybe even the writing. And there was some good stuff yeah. about the sound, but it wasn't like what I was there for. So it was kind of interesting that that choice was made. Back at Roku's Island, Aang enters the spirit world and is greeted by Roku and Fang, happy to see the young airbender and ready to show him their shared past. Zuko, on the other hand, becomes increasingly frustrated in his room. He reads that scroll again and can't figure out what it means. He tosses it aside, which accidentally lands on a lantern. Uh, the light of the lantern shines through the paper and reveals a secret message. <laughs> Sorry, was that ruining the, the drama of the scene? Sorry. Just a, Just a little, little bit, a little bit. Zuko grabs the scroll before it can burn all the way through and reads the message. The fire sages keep the secret history in the dragon bone catacombs. And that's where Zuko goes next. This is like national treasure level stuff. It is. Where's Nick Cage? Like hidden messages yeah. released by warmth from a candle. It is very hard for me to not read this in an Iro accent, by the way. <laughs> I'm oh, yeah. Trying my hardest <laughs> not to. He watches as a fire sage opens a secret door in the ground using firebending and patiently waits until the coast is clear. He then mimics the bending of the fire sage and walks down a spiral staircase which leads him to a hallway that is lined with bones of dragons. Zuko finds a sculpture of Fire Lord Sozin and places his hand on the Fire Nation emblem on the sculpture's chest. He then releases a fire blast. Fire fills the statue's face as it moves aside, revealing a chamber that contains Sozin's last will and testament. Zuko picks up a scroll and begins to read. Oh, man. Let's talk about the dragon bone catacombs, because first of all, it's super cool. Second of all, it reminds me of the catacombs under the Red Keep in Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Very similar yeah. dragon bones, the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. But they were apparently constructed in the Fire Nation underneath the High Temple sometime after the unification of the Fire Islands. It was created to serve as the burial grounds for all of the Fire Lords in the nation's history. So also very similar to crypts and catacombs that you would see in all of these old cities in our world. The catacombs were periodically expanded to accommodate crypts for each successive Fire Lord, and the walls were painted with an ever-growing mural depicting the nation's history, including its myths and legends. It is also at this point, if we remember back to the library episode, this is the only known repository of scrolls detailing Fire Nation history now that the Fire Nation wing of Wan Shitong's library has been burned. That's right, yeah. Huh. I wonder if they like picked up a few scrolls from Wan Shitong and just like, yeah, this goes here now. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about that, wondering if Zhao had taken any of the scrolls with him. That's right. I forgot we talked about that. Yeah, I bet she did. I still, I still think he did. That's what happened in my mind. Yep. Zuko hears the voice of his great-grandfather, Sozin, as he reads the first scroll. He is told of a time where things were so much brighter for the former Fire Lord. We see two young firebenders sparring in a courtyard. One notices a tree root sticking out of the ground and forces his opponent to trip over it. But before the other firebender can fall, he is caught by his friend for a brief moment only to let go. I do want to say this very quickly because I've been sitting on this bit of information for what I feel like is forever. 
<laughs> All right. The voice of old man Sozin is none other than the, in my opinion, legendary actor Ron Perlman. Wait. If you think Wait, that Hellboy? Name, that's right. He is known as playing Hellboy in the original two Guillermo del Toro movies. The best versions. Yes, yes. And as far as some people are concerned, the only versions to exist. <laughs> yep. He also did voice the character for a couple animated movies as well, which was really cool. He is in Sons of Anarchy. If you are a Teen Titans or Teen Titans Go fan, he played Slade, a.k.a. Deathstroke, the oh, main wow. antagonist. He was Orion from the Justice League 2003 animated series, as well as Justice League Unlimited, and played Jaxor from Superman, the animated series. But he's like, he's in so many things. If you don't know Ron Perlman, I feel like you probably don't watch a lot of things, maybe? Because yeah. you can't miss him. You trip over a title and you see him, you know? Yep. What's really funny is his name is actually spelled incorrectly in the credits of this episode. <gasps> oh, no. They put an extra A in there. It's not like Pearl, like the like actual Pearl, like P-E-A-R-L. It's P-E-R-L-M-A-N. Oh, that was okay. Funny. That was yep. kind of funny. That's the voice of Old Man Sozin. If it sounds familiar to you, he did have that very slayed raspiness kind of to a monotone. He did. Yeah, it was really cool. Let's go see these young firebenders. Looks like I win again, Roku, the first bender says. Are you kidding? The tree root did all the work. Nice one, Sozin, Roku tells his friend. So right off the bat, we are seeing that we have the former Fire Lord Sozin and the former Avatar Roku. It's so nice. Being buds. I love getting backstory. I know, being best buds. Yeah really cool they have this really like interesting dynamic where it's like close to being brothers like that you can tell right yep. right from the scene that they are super close and what will happen afterwards teen sozin is voiced by sean marquette who if you've ever seen foster's home for imaginary friends he was <gasps> the main character he's the kid he played mac really yep. oh yep. my god max yep he or was mac mac, mac m-a-c yep uh, he's in the Goldbergs. He was Pence in Kingdom Hearts, who was from Kingdom Hearts 2 on. He was one of the friends that Roxas made. And okay, yeah. he was Sam in Rocket Power. So he was um, the blonde kid, a little heavy set with the glasses. He's one of the main characters. Oh, in Rocket wow. Power. Yep. 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 I watched Rocket Power. Yeah. Teen Roku is voiced by Andrew Lewis Caldwell, who will be in the upcoming The Matrix 4. He was in iZombie as Harley Johns, and he was Thor in Hannah Montana. I didn't know there was a character named Thor I didn't know in there Hannah was Montana. Me either, but he was in there, and he's <laughs> okay. in quite a few episodes. Aang is surprised to hear that Avatar Roku was actually friends with Fire Lord Sozin, but Roku tells his newest incarnation that at this point, he was just Prince Sozin to the world, and they weren't just friends. They were best friends. <laughs> yeah. As Roku and Sozin leave the courtyard, a young woman walks by, which causes Roku to blush. This young woman, by the way, she's voiced by your best friend, Gray Delilah Griffin. Yes, she is. I recognized it when she talked at their wedding yes, yes. feast. Also, if you look closely, her hair is very similar to Katara's in her Fire Nation disguise. Yes. This young woman walks by, who we now know is going to be the future Mrs. Roku. Future Mrs. Avatar. Yep. <laughs> yep. And Sozin nudges his best friend and, you know, he, he's being a bud. He's being this wingman. He's like, you know, go talk to her. Roku does. But before he can even get a word out, the young woman walks off and Roku falls to the ground in defeat. Sozin takes a seat next to his friend and sprinkles blades of grass on his friend's face. I looked up what the cultural significance of this was and I couldn't find anything. I think it was just being goofy. like friendly and goofy and like, 
it's like poking. It seems so specific, though. Yeah. I interpreted it as like poking your friend out of fun. Yeah, I I can see that. It's like just something absent to do while you're just laughing at at your friend's expense. My my modern interpretation and thinking of like how we in a very casual ways refer to like someone being like dead be like oh like i died right there right like that's what i kind right. of like he's burying his friend because he he's dead <laughs> that's how i kind of like looked at that's it that's a nice modern interpretation yeah. yeah but like yeah i looked up what that was and all i got was how to mow your lawn articles on google so i couldn't okay. find anything yeah. but, seems right but i did learn a couple new techniques for mowing my lawn so i'll try those out <laughs> oh wow nice <laughs> so he sows and takes the seat right so you got the the grass going on love is hard when you are young, Roku tells Aang, who knows this lesson all too well. Roku assures Aang that it gets better and the two rush off to a birthday party. Now, the interesting thing about this birthday party is you would think that maybe it's Sozin's or maybe it's Roku's. The two friends actually shared a lot of things in common. And one of those things was the fact that they have the same birthday. They're birthday so twins. Cute. That's amazing. That is the makings of best friends right there. It really is. Or mortal enemies or both. <laughs> At the party, Roku nearly trips when he sees the young woman from the courtyard watching him. Sozin catches his friend and laughs. Suddenly, a group of fire sages crash the party. Sozin immediately thinks that something happened to his father. But the fire sage leading the group tells him that they are not here for the prince. They are here to announce the identity of the next incarnation of the Avatar, Avatar Roku. Everyone bows immediately to Roku, who is frozen in place, which is kind of ironic considering he's a firebender. It takes a moment for it to sink in, but Sozin eventually bows to his best friend. Soon after the announcement, the day came where Roku had to leave the Fire Nation to master the other three elements. Sozin gives his friend a little sass and asks why he hasn't packed yet. Roku explains that he is not bringing any worldly possessions with him. It is clear from his body language and his tone that Roku is overwhelmed and everything is moving too fast for him. In order to comfort his friend, Sozin takes off his headpiece and gives it to Roku. Even though this is a royal artifact and is only to be worn by the crown prince, Sozin wants Roku to have it. The two friends bow in respect and Roku leaves the Fire Nation. Oh, a couple things here. Yes. On the topic of the fire sages who crashed the party, just wanted to remind everyone who they are and what importance they have in the Fire Nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked about them back in book one during the winter solstice episodes. They are an organization within the Fire Nation that serves as the religious authority of the Fire Nation, and they're responsible for identifying the Avatar's incarnation as we see in this scene. Mm. In addition to that, they guard the temple, they conduct coronations, weddings, funerals, etc. But I was thinking while watching this episode, how they identify the Avatar. Because I thought it was interesting. Roku is a teenager in this scene. Do you have an answer for that? No, but I had that same thought too. I'm watching this thing and I'm just like, but wait, Aang was born and they kind of, oh, he wasn't born. He was a lot younger and they kind of, He was like eh, five, six, maybe. Yeah. So they knew that pretty quickly. And they had this whole test to make sure that they were right about that. Right. Right. Because they had all of the artifacts from the previous incarnations. Yep. The relics that previous avatars used. And so he showed an affinity for them and they were able to. Yeah. And Roku didn't do that. My theory, my headcanon, I don't know if this is accurate or not. I don't have an answer. But the way I wrap my head around it is they hadn't developed that technique yet to determine who the next avatar is. or. That's specifically an air nomad thing. 
I do think it's a specific Air Nomad thing, which leads me to begin wondering what process the fire sages go through for avatars who are born to the fire nation. And I'm not sure. So, you know, listeners, if you have any fun theories, any fun headcanons, let us know. Write us an email at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us. Let us know what your thoughts are. The other thing that was very curious too, which I guess this is kind of spoilery for the end of this episode, but I still kind of want to bring it up, right? Where Roku dies. Spoilers. If you haven't seen this episode, Roku dies at the end. Anyways, <laughs> and Aang is born. So yeah. the world was without an avatar for 13 to 15 years. That's a good question. I actually don't know what the time period is. If there is a gap in between or not. Yes. So yeah, so it's interesting. So if you think about it, Kiyoshi died in... 82 BG. Yep. Before genocide. And Roku was born that year. But they didn't know Roku was the avatar until he must have been 13 or 14. He was a teenager at that point. I would even say a 16. They seem yeah, like they're... They seem a lot older. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They definitely seem older than... Actually, that's a good benchmark to have than Zuko or Katara or Sokka. So they might be 16, 17, 18 at that rate. So I, I would venture to say he was probably 18 at that point. So they were, it was 18 years-ish, give or take, where they did not know who the Avatar was and everything was fine. Interesting. Very interesting. Yep. So I think it goes without saying that the Air Nomads know how to determine who the Avatar is a lot better than the Fire Nation. <laughs> Much faster. A lot, yes. a lot more efficient. Another thing I want to talk about is the headpiece that Sozin gives Roku. Because yes, like they said in the show... That headpiece is only for the heir to the Fire Lord. And right. actually the composition of it signifies that because the headpiece for the crown prince has two prongs, one on each side versus the Fire Lord's headpiece, which has five prongs, which face the front. Mm. The headpiece is likely influenced by a similar custom during the Han Dynasty in China, because back then when the emperor chose one of his sons to be his heir, the emperor would personally clasp the headpiece around the heir's topknot and fix it in place with the appropriate hair stick. The process is shown in accurate detail when Roku does this on his own hair upon receiving the headpiece. So I like to think that this is just another cultural reference mm. that the team has made after studying so much about Asian culture and history. Yes, yes. And I didn't mention this in the write-up, but I do want to let everyone know that there is a difference visually between spirit world Aang and real life Aang. So when Aang goes into the spirit world, he's bald again. You can see his arrows very prominently. He looks like he did right. uh, essentially in book two and book one. So it's very interesting. That's a great point. Yep. No hair. Exactly. And keep that in mind too for Roku for that headpiece later on. Keep that in yeah. mind because he's wearing it in the spirit world. Outside of the spirit world, speaking of which, Team Avatar watches Aang as he moves around in his meditation. It looks like he's trying to poop. I'm not going to like try to like be clever about this. <laughs> It looks like he's trying to poop. And the group it does. the group jokes about bathrooms in the spirit world. And Sokka confirms that there are, in fact, no bathrooms in the spirit world at all. Yep. Yep. I believe we asked our listeners to bookmark that. Yes. For this very moment. Yes. If you recall, Sokka went into the spirit world in Winter Solstice Part 1. And so he should know about bathrooms, the bathroom situation in the spirit world. That's right. Although he didn't have any memory at the time when he came out of the spirit world, he clearly remembered something at some point, which is yep. hilarious. Again, world building, callbacks, like references, little things like this. I would not be surprised if he recalled some things during his training with Pian Dao 
because of oh, all of the different methods that go into learning sword mastery. Yeah, that's a good call out. Absolutely. Yeah. I do like that, even though Mike and Brian don't usually make poop jokes on the show, that when they do, they make sure it's a call back to something else to keep you thinking yes. and keep your brain going. <laughs> right. It's revealed that Aang's funny movements are actually just him getting on Fang and the three ride off to the Southern Air Temple where Roku shows Aang of his airbending lessons. And I, I said three, people can say, but two. I say, no, Fang counts. Fang counts. If Appa counts, Fang counts. The wonderful creatures of this world counts. So there's that. We learn here at the Southern Air Temple that Roku was friends with a young monk Gyatso. And the two enjoyed many laughs together. Aang gets to see his former friend and mentor show off air surfing, which doesn't end all that well because <laughs> they both just crash <laughs> to the ground. Some friendships are so strong, they can even transcend lifetimes, Roku tells Aang, smiling <gasps> at this memory. Oh, cue the tears. I love this scene. Me too. It's so like... They didn't need to go that hard, but they did. And I appreciate it. <laughs> yep. Wow. Oh, God. Absolutely. I will say it's weird to see Monk Yatso as a young kid because yeah. I so much see him as an old, wise, bearded man time, with yeah. his airbending necklace and the robes and everything. But, you know, at the same time, I love seeing him and Roku becoming friends. Yes. Yes. And I think, honestly... The fact that we can only really see Gyatso in that way is kind of on Mike and Brian because they've never showed us a young Iroh yet. Like Ooh. we saw Iroh when Zuko was a lot younger, but he looked exactly the same. Very similar. Same profile, Everything. same like beard and hair shape. Yep. yep. So that's funny. Uh, but yeah, so I really like kind of like this whole thought. Um, you never considered that a trait of the Avatar that gets passed down are the friends that you make. And I like, yeah. I like that. Some people might think it might cheapen that or be like, oh, what? Just because you're friends with this person in one life, you're going to be friends with them in another life. But for me, it's very like comforting. It is. I find it comforting too, because it shows more connections to the world because yeah. we've already established that there's so many different incarnations of the avatar right. and those traits and memories and experiences pass down to the most current incarnation. But that's only one side yeah. of a life your individual experience. I love the fact that that individual experience is connected to the people of those time periods. And some of those relationships transcend generations. Yeah. That's so special. That's such a great thought. Yeah. And good on Monk Gyatso too. I think I, I said this on our AMA on our Patreon, but I think he's so underrated right now where yeah. like he manages to befriend two different avatars, which means that his influence is upon two different generations of avatars. Yep. Like amazing. You'll have to, uh, you know, go to patreon.com slash avatar the podcast. If you want to read more about my thoughts on that, not going to give it all <laughs> out, but that's something to really note. After years of mastering airbending, Roku travels to the Northern Water Tribe to begin his waterbending training. While this was especially challenging for Roku, he mastered that as well in time. I do want to point out it took out years to master airbending. Yep. And when we move from bending to bending, it's not like, oh, let's spend an afternoon doing this. It's years of hard training. And he's wearing the outfits, the garb yep. of the nation in which he's training. Yeah. And just think 
when Team Avatar was in the Northern Water Tribe, they trained for maybe a couple months. If that, yeah. And yeah. then ever since then, Aang's been learning from Katara and he has still gotten better. But yeah, we're, we're still talking a matter of months here. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a result of the previous incarnations of the Avatar helping him subconsciously or if he's just that much better at learning all these different and by he, I mean Aang, if Aang's just that much better at like learning all these different forms because he's an air nomad and he's very go with the flow kind of personality. So he can kind of latch on a little easier. Actually, yeah, I think that's a combination of him being an air nomad and his age. Yeah. Only being 12 years old. That's right. Because one thing I remember from Korra is she learned from very early on how to bend the elements, but she still struggled with bending as time went on because of her personality. Yeah. And I think. I read this somewhere and I could be wrong and everyone feel free to call me out, but I feel like it's easier for a child to learn a new technique, a new idea, philosophy than it is an adult. So yeah, yeah. there's a golden period in your development where you can like learn anything. And I'm so jealous of the kids who actually learned languages and math and all this crazy stuff when they were kids, because I did not. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Well, I kind of learned a language, but I forgot it. So don't be too jealous. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing, too, I found interesting is Roku's waterbending master does not have a name. I was scouring the Internet for his yep. name, especially after we learned his next bender or his next master's name. I was like, clearly they must have a name for this guy. No. Before this guy. Yes. After this guy. Yes. This guy. No. <laughs> they just I don't know why they just didn't give him a name. But if it helps you kind of place him in the timeline of the world, he was succeeded by Paku in the Northern Water Tribe. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to say this out there. I know I'm talking about the Patreon a lot this episode, but I'm just going to say out there, secret podcast folks, note this guy. Moving on. (laughs) Moving on. Very true. To the Earth Kingdom, speaking of masters with names, where Roku tells Aang of his earthbending master, Sud. Sud was a stubborn, blunt, and uncompromising man, as well as a lifelong friend to Roku. Anyone who speaks French or Italian might think Sud or Sud, if you're how you pronounce it in French, means south or under. Uh-huh. So to be south is to be resistant to change or to be stubborn with new ideology, which are the two main principles involved in earthbending, which is kind of funny. I also thought it was very funny <laughs> how much like Toph that Sud is. Yeah. Just from that one very. sentence we get. It was really funny. It was really cool. Also, Sud does not seem to have the typical green eyes that many other earthbenders have. Again, another trait he has in common with Toph. Yep. Do you think it's possible that the masters maybe get reincarnated as well? Oh, that's a great thought. Interesting. Oh, I love that thought. I don't know. Well, I don't think let's, we'll ever get let's that confirmed. Let's let that marinate yeah. in, our, in our fandom brains. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll address that down the road. It was bitter work, but well worth it, Roku tells Aang, as we see a younger Roku display his mastery over all four elements. Okay, this moment. Yes. Okay, first of all, he says bitter work. He said the words. Yep, wink, wink, nod, nod. He said the the thing. (laughs) Yep, been there, done that. Aang learned a thing. Also, this moment meant more to me than I was expecting because it finally connects the avatar we see in the opening of the show Mm -hmm. to the actual character. That's right. Same time period and everything. It was just, it felt like coming full circle. Yeah, it was very like I got goosebumps a little because we haven't seen an avatar display this mastery yet all at one sitting. It was really cool. Something else to kind of note is that it looks like Roku is kind of wearing his normal clothes at this point while he's like we said, he's going to each of these nations and wearing their clothes. So 
this seems to be something that was common amongst avatars in normal times. A little slight, slight Korra spoiler here. It's the slightest. She does the same thing as Roku does. She wears the garbs in which she's training for that element. So there. Roku returned to the Fire Nation 12 years later. Pause. 12 years it took him to master (laughs) all four elements. Ridiculous. Or three of the four elements, which means that he has also returned to his friend, who is now Fire Lord Sozin. The two friends pick up right where they left off. And after some slight grief, and by grief, I mean, it was like light jabbing. And he's like, this whole like back forth is like, (laughs) you should be bowing to me. Ah, just kidding, buddy. You're great. The two friends hug each other. A few moments later, well, a few moments later for us, but is months later, Roku marries the girl from the courtyard. Her name was Tommen. When love is real, it finds a way. And being the avatar doesn't hurt your chances with the ladies either, Roku tells Aang. <laughs> who, in my opinion, is channeling some Kurok right there. A little bit. A little bit. Yep. Oh, at their wedding, too, Tommen's clothing and hairstyle resembled that of traditional Korean royal brides. Ooh. Yeah, so if you if you want to see an example of that, reference the costume link from last week's episode in the show notes. It's the Tumblr link. It takes you to this really great side-by-side comparison of different clothing and architecture and its original source in history. And you can find that again on thegeekgeneration.com slash avatar. Yes, and it was on this day. I feel like the Godfather reading the sentence. And it was on this day, <laughs> the day of my wedding, that you come to me. <laughs> Fire Lord Sozin shares his plan with his best friend to change the world. On this day, the day of his wedding. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> Sozin tells Roku of how prosperous the Fire Nation has been and how they've entered an unprecedented time of peace. Sozin wants to team up with Roku and share this with the rest of the world in the form of global domination. I was going to say, okay, so we're going from we should share this prosperity with the rest of the world to conquest and occupation okay yeah it's very interesting these past 12 years seem to have changed sozin and i think sozin was aware of that and didn't want to kind of like show his hand necessarily to roku because you know they still have fond memories together but i go back and forth with that because i know i know that sozin's conniving and he's not a nice person and he really just kind of does whatever it takes to get his way Where like young Sozin wasn't like that. They were just like two friends and he was very warm and comforting. And he even gave like this priceless artifact to his friend so he would feel better. I know. It makes me wonder what happened in the 12 years that he was away. And even Roku mentions that they both changed by the time that he came back. So we saw Roku's change. It makes me automatically curious what the change for Sozin looked like. Yeah, I really want to see that. But I guess we'll never really know because he never wrote it down in his last will and testament. Because as a reminder, even though I'm skipping over this part, we are learning from Aang with Roku as well as Zuko reading the last will and testament of his great-grandfather. So history is being omitted probably on both sides, to be honest. Like, you know, there's two sides to every story, but it's like that right in the middle between the two stories is usually where the truth lies. And honestly, I love this structure of the episode. The fact that we're hearing the same story told at the same time, just from two different perspectives. Unreal. It's a really cool storytelling technique. Yes. Yeah. So Sozin says we're going to dominate the world and Roku has seen the world and understands that balance is needed. 
and protests. He explains that the four nations are meant to be just that, four separate pieces to the whole. Avatar Roku tells the Fire Lord that he does not want to hear about this again and walks away. What Roku didn't know at that time is that Sozin went ahead and put his plan in motion anyways, despite warning from the Avatar. Oh, yeesh. Yeah. Many years later, Roku sees the Fire Nation has invaded and conquered some of the Earth Kingdom. Enraged, Roku storms Sozin's throne room and yells at his former friend. Sozin essentially calls Roku a traitor for even arguing with him and the way that he addresses his fire lord. He says something like, usually people bow to me and he's just like, (laughs) no, 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 no. Avatar Roku warns the fire lord that challenging him will only end poorly and turns his back on his childhood friend and walks away. Sozin does not take kindly to these words or Roku's attitude and jumps off of his throne and unleashes this like monumental fire blast at Roku. When the flames die down, Roku emerges from the earth behind his opponent, throws him across the room with an air gust, and then pins him to the ceiling with a pillar of earth. Three of the four elements before you can blink. Amazing. Amazing. Roku enters the Avatar state briefly and destroys the palace in a single movement. I'm sparing you, Sozin, the Avatar tells the Fire Lord. I'm letting you go in the name of our past friendship, but I warn you. Even a single step out of line will result in your permanent end. Sozin glares at the Avatar for a moment, but eventually hangs his head in defeat. Roku leaves Sozin in the ruins of his palace. Yikes. Mm -hmm. So Fire Lord Sozin kind of justifies this invasion as sharing wealth and knowledge and prosperity. prosperity, Uh, This is a concept that was derived from Japanese imperialism in World War II. The Japanese Empire used an ideological construct called, I'm going to butcher this, I'm so sorry, Dai Tao Keoken. I'm going to say Keoken. I know it's I not I think uh, it's Dai Toa Yoiken. Dai Toa Keoiken. I'm sorry I butchered that. It's, it looks like it's roughly translated to the Great East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere to justify invading China and conquering the South Pacific, just as the Fire Nation had invaded the Earth Kingdom and Water Tribes. So awesome pull from history right there. Wow. That's yeah. actually, that's a great reference there. Yes. Yes. I'm um, going to take this moment to talk about my favorite background artist, yeah. Elsa Garagarza. I love her. <laughs> she yeah. designed this version of the throne room as well. Oh, cool. We talked about her way back when, when we first saw the throne room in the Fire Nation and we talked about how they drew inspiration from Egyptian and mm-hmm. lots of different areas of history. Well, she designed this one as well. And if you notice, it's a lot more open. It's light filled. It's not as dark and imposing as the later throne room is. So this ancient version of the throne room was just generally more welcoming. Yeah, it, it feels more like the Earth King's throne room than it did like that throne room from the storm. I think it was the storm. Was that the first time we really saw it? I feel like, yeah, it was definitely not shrouded in darkness. And the only light coming out of it is the flames in front of the (laughs) The, fire Lord, the wall of flames behind the throne. Yeah. 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 A little more welcoming than that. Also very small detail. The moment that Roku blows up the palace, Mm -hmm. there's an aerial shot of the palace, kind of like a top-down look, and you see the front of it just kind of explode out. Yeah. Well, Elsa designed that as well, and we saw it for maybe 0.5 seconds. Yep. So I appreciate it, Great Elsa. Work. 
<laughs> Great work. Great work. We'll freeze frame it and we'll enjoy it for maybe another <laughs> few seconds. Sozin is not happy with the Avatar. And the Avatar is not happy with the Fire Lord, needless to say. After this fight, the two did not speak or see each other for 25 years. Wow. Yeah. And here's where we take a second to acknowledge the fact that they grew up as best friends mm-hmm. who shared the same birthday, very much the same type of lifestyle, and time pulled them apart. Yeah. And eventually they didn't see each other for 25 years. Like, if that's not a real example of how life sometimes goes, I don't know what is. I know. During these 25 years and afterwards, Roku actually spent most of his spare time on his home island, which we see it in the flashback and it's green, it's lush. You do have the two volcanoes there, but it's very much alive and vibrant. One day, Roku and Tamin are awoken to the island trembling. The two are in such a rush to see what is causing the disturbance that Roku knocks over his royal headpiece that he received from Sozin all those years ago and doesn't even notice. Outside, we see that one of the island's volcanoes has erupted and ash is falling to the ground. Without hesitation, Roku leads his wife to safety as lava seeps down the volcano. Yeah, and we can see here too that there are other people on this island. Oh yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, I found out there's a small settlement. Even though it's called Roku's Island, there was this like little village. Roku and Tamin lived higher up on this like incline underneath the volcano. So their house is like kind of located on the face of the volcano Mm. at a higher elevation. This is really cute. I learned that Fang's Cave was located adjacent to the house, kind of like a garage or something (laughs) where Fang hung out. But yeah, basically Roku and his wife spent a lot of time here in his later years. I really want to learn more about Fang. I really do. I was hoping to learn more in this episode. We didn't necessarily. The Fire Lord also has his own dragon. Oh, we'll talk about that. Don't you worry. Yeah. We'll talk about that. 100 miles away. I like how he's exactly 100 miles away from Roku. (laughs) Sozin is kind of like hanging out on his balcony and he can see Roku's island erupt into flames and watches from his balcony. He could feel the earth rumbling from the distance and he had never seen such a catastrophe before. The Avatar does his best to save his village from the volcano using all of the elements to block the flow of lava and avoid the toxic gases that are emitting from the ground. Fang even shows up and tries to get his friend to leave but Roku refuses and tries to battle the volcano some more. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, two things. First, I get so emotional at this part because yeah. Roku's so cool. He's so cool. He's so cool. And so talented. Yeah. And he's an old man, but he's doing his best and he still kicks butt. Yeah. And so I just get emotional watching Roku do his avatar thing. Second thing is this whole concept of him battling the volcano reminded me a lot of when Team Avatar diverted the volcano's destruction in Makapu Village yeah, in the Fortune Teller. That's right. Very similar. They like, Roku cuts this long gash into the ground to divert the lava out to the ocean. Mm-hmm. And he used a lot of similar techniques that the team did, which I thought was really cool. Which in hindsight now was probably Roku guiding Aang's hand. I like to think that. Learning that from his case. mistakes. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, God. Wait, learn from his mistakes. Stab me in the heart. Why don't you? I do want to point out something really quickly, too, before we move on to the ending, essentially, of this whole thing. We're watching Roku throughout his whole life. At this point, he looks exactly like himself in the spirit world. So whether you realize it or not, there's this impending doom kind of going around Roku. 
and it's so subtle you'll miss it if you're not really paying attention but it's just very masterfully done like he, he when he wakes up in the, on that island he's old man roku as we know him and you're like immediately i recognize him y- you're gonna die soon <laughs> i'm sorry yeah. man, you're gonna die soon oh yeah putting it that way i did not connect those dots but you're absolutely right if the version of himself in the spirit world is a representation of the age at which he died, then yeah. it is like a ticking time bomb this whole episode, mm-hmm. waiting until we get to the moment where he looks like his spirit world self. Yeah. And what's interesting for all those eagle-eyed listeners out there is spirit world avatar, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> has that headdress on even though he left it on the floor of his house. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. That's how he views himself. So do you think that he just always has that in his hair? So like when it's like when you look in the mirror and you get a haircut, you're like, oh, that's not me. But like it is, you just kind of have to get used to it. Or do you think he purposefully has the headdress on in his spirit world form as a constant reminder of his life and his betrayal of his friend is maybe naivete to think that his friend wouldn't go along with the plan? Um, C, both. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> I think it's both of those things. Yeah. And something I was thinking about while watching the episode is the fact that he took this headpiece that signifies the crown prince in Fire Nation culture and owned the ornament as part of his identity, as part of his appearance. Right. I started thinking, what did that headpiece come to mean to him after being estranged from his best friend who gave it to him? You know? Yeah. I think it might have been just a moment in time where things weren't so dark. Like a reminder of when things were lighter yeah, and brighter. Yeah. Interesting how even at the end, the two, at least in terms of remembering their childhood, both have the same kind of longing. Yeah. When times were simpler. Oh my gosh. I yeah. love that. Because you're you're absolutely right. Sozin begins his scroll remembering when times were brighter. Mm-hmm. And Roku holds on to the headpiece because it was a reminder of when times were brighter yep. with his friend. There you go. Oh, slay me. Cyclical. There's more than one cycle in this show than the Avatar cycle. <laughs> yep. Roku eventually realizes that he cannot win and is about to accept defeat when Sozin shows up on his own dragon, who, by the way, never has a name either. No one has names in this, apparently, anymore. They ran out of budget. They ran, ran, out, out, of, of, they ran <laughs> out of budget. They couldn't hire the name guy for this one. <laughs> yep. The two friends work side by side for the first time since they were teenagers and look like they are winning. Sozin nearly falls when the earth he is standing on gives way, but Roku saves him with the blast of earthbending. Don't breathe the toxic gas, Roku tells his old friend, but finds himself inhaling some of that very gas by accident. Roku falls to the ground and reaches out for his friend's help. Sozin suddenly realizes that without Roku around, his plans for the future are suddenly possible. He reminds the Avatar that he has a vision for the future and mounts his blue dragon and flies away, leaving his friend for dead. Oh, that bastard. I can't. So we know that Sozin's dragon is blue. Remind uh-huh. me, remind me, what color is Fang? <laughs> Red. Remind me, where have we seen those colors on dragons before? Well, in a dream that Zuko had one episode. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Are we sensing a trend here? Do we think this might be foreshadowing for something? Maybe. Let's just pin that right there for about 10 minutes later. We'll get to it. (laughs) Once Sozin flies off, Fang shows up by his friend's side. Realizing that it is too late to escape, Fang coils himself around the Avatar. And the two enter the spirit world together. Oh, I refuse. 
And it was on this day that Aang was born. I always lose it when Fang, I can't. I'm the person who doesn't get really torn up when people die, unless yep. there's like a big emotional impact with yep. their characterization, et cetera. But animals, mm-hmm. animals getting hurt, animals I'm dying. I'm a blubbering baby. I cannot handle it. More specifically, loyal animals. That specifically, specifically. homeward bound. Yeah. I, even, I still have trauma even, from that. Don't even. We're not, we're not going to talk about homeward bound ever again. <laughs> Period. I'm just going to put that. Ban topic. Uh, uh. But yeah, so this happened and I like I was losing it. I, I held Rusty. My, yeah. Everyone knows Rusty, my dog. I have Pippin as well, but she was downstairs. Rusty was closer. So I was holding him and I was like, buddy. And I was just like, yeah, uh. it's just like that loyalty right there. Fang sees that he can't save his friend. And instead of saving himself, he goes down with his friend. Oh, tearing up again. Nope. There's also that little bit of, I guess you would say, because Fang is, what is Fang to Roku? He's like his spirit guide, right? His spirit guide. Yeah. 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 So like he knows essentially that Roku's going to go into the spirit world. So he's like, I'm going with you, pal. So like, there's like a little comfort in that, knowing that like, it's not just like we're going to die together and that's it. The end, like they'll, they'll be together forever. But it's still, yep. it's so sad whenever this kind of thing happens. Anyways, let's move on before Acorn actually starts crying because I can see the tears <laughs> welling up. <laughs> Make sense of our past, Aang, and you will bring peace and restore balance in the world, Roku tells Aang as his vision ends. And as the vision ends, we see Aang's parents. Yeah. There's shadows, but we still see his parents in one of the temples. That's right. I do really like uh, when Aang is born, that whole scene, it goes from like light and it's very similar to the opening credits and then it shows him as a baby. It's it's all very well directed and well shot, so to speak. And it was really, yeah. it was really cool. It was like all, we're surrounded in all this darkness and then all of a sudden the next incarnation of the Avatar, he's not born in darkness, he's born in light, which is really cool. Oh, yep. Yeah. Symbolism. Yeah. Eh? Zuko finishes reading his great grandfather's words where he admits that he knew the next avatar would be an airbender. So he ordered the genocide of the air nomads. Even still, the avatar managed to elude him. And Sozin wasted the remainder of his life searching in vain. I had a moment of satisfaction with that. Well, (laughs) yes, absolutely. Because I don't want this guy to get his way. It was so like, I'm still so conflicted about Sozin in a way that like I have yet to be conflicted about Azula or Ozai because we've seen him be a good person in his early life. And then he went to that Island, not to kill the avatar. He went to the Island to help his friend save his Island. Yeah. That was his goal going into it. It was only when Roku inhaled that gas and was on his knees that Ozai saw the opportunity, saw this opportunity and it kind of dawned on him. It took him a minute, but it dawned on him. He goes, I could get what I want right now in the same way that Zuko at the end of book two had that choice in the forest in no, 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 no. Well, yeah, in the forest as well. Yes. But in book two, the, the season finale where, Oh yeah. In the crystal catacombs. catacombs. I was actually thinking of the moment in the forest at the end of the blue spirit. Interesting. I don't know why that flashed in my mind, but Zuko even then was having a moment where he was thinking about if our lives hadn't been this way, or actually, he was thinking about what to do. And then Aang was the one who was thinking, if our lives weren't this way, I feel like we would be friends. Yeah. And then at the end of book two, he has that oh moment my God. of confliction. 
and and then hold on hold on and then i just want to take what you're before i lose this thought so could we have been friends in a different life they were yep oh my god Get out of here, break. Get out of here. You're drunk, break. <laughs> Go home. You're drunk on storytelling power. Storytelling. <laughs> so I was thinking more at the end of book two, where Zuko has the choice to join Team Avatar or betray them. Yeah. And he chooses to betray, well, more betray his uncle. And he chooses to do that, which is the same choice that Sozin makes right here. Help his friend or betray his friend. And he chooses to selfishly go with what he wants to do. The difference between Zuko and Ozai is that Zuko regrets it afterwards. And he doesn't have the satisfaction. Ozai gets a little satisfaction, I would think, by killing his friend, which is terrible and like dirty. And he's like, this is I can do my next plan, the next stage of my plan. But he never actually gets the satisfaction of killing the Avatar again. So his plans will always get foiled, which is just karma right there like i really like that so sozin wastes the remainder of his life searching for the avatar which one might argue zuko wasted the beginning years of his childhood not beginning years but like a good part of his childhood searching for the avatar yep he took on that task he picked up right where his great-grandfather left off in the same area yep wild zuko is furious at the ending of the scroll he can't believe this is how it all ends he frantically searches for the ending. He like flips the scroll around. He's like, look in. <laughs> Nothing. This was indeed the last of it. The Fire Prince storms into his uncle's prison cell. He yells that he knew it was Iroh that sent him the initial scroll. He tells him that the secret history isn't so secret to the world because everyone already knows all about it. Iroh then tells his nephew that while his father's grandfather was Sozin, his mother's grandfather was none other than Avatar Roku. Screeching. Yes. This reveal is mm-hmm. so good. Also, hearing Iroh talk again after so many episodes of being silent mm-hmm. is also satisfying as if he was sitting there and waiting and biding his time, which we know he has because he's been working out and becoming a beast. Yeah. But he was expecting Zuko to find him. He was ready. He yeah. was ready to talk about this, to guide him as he always has. You ready for a voice actor note? Yeah. Iroh is voiced by Greg Baldwin in this episode. This is the first episode in which Greg Baldwin fully took over for Mako. Oh, where he was credited? This is it. Yeah. What a great episode for it to begin. You could tell in this episode that it was not Mako. The delivery was amazing, but not quite the same. Like you could definitely tell. And you could actually, if you wanted to headcanon this, so it feels maybe a little less abrupt, when one loses weight, your voice does change a bit. Your enunciation changes, stuff like that. And we all know that Iroh has been really hitting the gym lately, really uh, lifting the old barbells because jail bars, you're all welcome. (laughs) Uh, So that's kind of how I wrap my head around this one. I like it. Really quickly too, do you think now, knowing that Avatar Roku is also his great-grandfather, Zuko's great-grandfather, do you think that the blue dragon is Sozin's influence and his like DNA, his soul, and the red dragon is Roku's. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. I'm I'm on that too. I love that internal symbolism and yeah. how somehow, subconsciously, genetically, whatever, Zuko knew and dreams about the red dragon and the blue dragon. So here's here's a thought. And I don't think we'll know if this is a thing ever, or at least until Korra. We get well into Korra. 
Do you think there is like a residual change to the lineage of the Avatar afterwards? Sorry, say it again. So like, do you think that if you are the descendant of an Avatar, you're maybe a little more in tune to the spirit world or there's some residual change in in your soul, your DNA, whatever that makes you different from everyone else. And maybe that's why Zuko can really kind of like tell there's something going on with him. Also, if you listen last week, you might be saying, Greg, you're almost at the end of this episode. You haven't told us the uh, connection you want to make between the beach and Zuko's like crazy outrage about being angry with himself with this episode. Well, here it is. Zuko hates the Avatar with every fiber of his being in the beginning of this series. He still must hate him to some degree by the end of book two because he betrays him. Even if it's all like selfish, like self-contained, like I get what I want. You don't just do that without dislike, at least disliking your opponent or the person you're going to betray, right? Zuko hates himself because he subconsciously knows that he is the Avatar. He's the, the descendant of the Avatar and he can't wrap his brain around it because he doesn't know that information. So he yep. just hates the part of himself that is Roku. Yep. Wild. Absolutely. Wild. Wild and so good. This would be wild for adult fiction. Never mind exactly. like a kid's show from this was 2008, I think at this point. Uh-huh. Like, yep. So good. Also, Zuko's fever dream. Azula was the voice of the blue dragon and yep. Iroh was the voice of the red dragon. That's right. And Iroh has been to the spirit world. And is super yep. spiritual. So he takes on, oh man, he takes yep. on Roku's side versus Ozai by proxy Azula takes on, oh man. And you know what? Yep. Now that you mention it, Iroh kind of looks a little bit like Roku. A little bit. He does a little bit. A little bit he little. has the the same like floofy side beard. Yeah. Well, that's a stylistic choice. I'm going to say it's a DNA. <laughs> so Zuko learns that his great grandfather on his mother's side or on you know, on the other side is Avatar Roku. And he's yelling at Iroh, why are you telling me this? Because understanding the struggle between your two great grandfathers can help you better understand the battle within yourself. Evil and good are always at war inside you, Zuko. It is your nature, your legacy. But there is a bright side. What happened generations ago can now be resolved by you. Because of your legacy, You alone can cleanse the sins of our family and the Fire Nation. Born in you, along with all the strife, is the power to restore balance to the world, Iroh explains. All right. So remember on our last Avatar, I talked about how my least favorite ship or least favorite relationship was Ozai and Ursa. Yep. Well, I still feel that way. But I'm glad that they got together because they basically are redeeming yeah. all of the actions of the Fire Nation by bringing those two lines together and giving Zuko the chance to fix it all, at least to set things right. Yes. Yeah. I'm with you. I just still need to know how and why Ursa ever agreed to that marriage. I think it was an arranged marriage thing, honestly. Maybe. Yeah, that could be. That makes sense. Although they don't really have, it doesn't look like they have arranged marriages, potentially. I think Roku's um, wasn't anyway. Although that doesn't mean, just because one isn't, that doesn't mean all of them aren't. So, yeah. Yeah, I actually read that, at least with Ta Min, there was an expectation that she would marry someone from the royal family. She just didn't know who. Oh, okay. um, and then she ended up being married to Roku. So I think there's, I mean, similar to our world and all the different royal families, like if you're at a certain level in royalty, 
Mm. There's an expectation that you could be paired up with someone of a similar or higher rank. Mm. Okay. All right. So Iroh removes a brick from the wall and takes out a bundle. Iroh takes great care in unwrapping the bundle to reveal the royal artifact that was thought lost on Roku's island. Iroh hands the artifact to his nephew and explains that it is to be worn only by the crown prince. Zuko takes the crown and all he can do is stare at it. And then I have a big capital. We already talked about it, but I have big capital letters. Suddenly the dream with the two dragons makes all the more much sense. <laughs> and then, by the way, if anyone forgot what episode that was, that was the Earth King episode where he has the fever dream. That's what it was. Yep. Back at Camp Avatar, Aang finishes explaining what he saw on his vision with Roku. Aang tells his friends that the lesson he learned wasn't that all Fire Nation people are evil, but that anyone is capable of doing both good and evil. Therefore, everyone, including Fire Lord Ozai, deserves a second chance. Toph asks if he really thinks friendships can last more than one lifetime. I don't see why not, Aang says. Well, scientifically speaking, there is no way to prove that, Sokka says. But an annoyed Katara tells her brother to join hands with the rest of the group. The end. Cue the tears again. Yeah. Because of Korra things that I remember. Okay. It's so nice. I just love Sokka. It's so nice. I love Sokka. I know. He's just like, well, technically. (laughs) We're back to the fortune teller where he's giving them like reason and logic. So good. (laughs) So perfect. Really quick note. This is the last episode in the series in which Aang enters the spirit world. So there's that. Okay. The relationship between Roku and Sozin going from friend to enemy is actually opposite to Aang's. To Aang and Zuko's. Yep, slight, makes sense. Slight spoiler, but I feel like if you didn't see this going in that direction, this is the first time you're watching the show with us, you know. We haven't spoiled yeah. something in like forever. Like a legitimate a spoiler. <laughs> yeah. So there's that, uh, which is very interesting. It's kind of like mirroring relationships, I guess. I don't know if that's yep. an official It's term. like the world in the timelines and the generations healing themselves. Yes. Yeah, exactly. All right, Acorn. We're at that time now. Oh, who is your MVP of the episode? It's got to be Avatar Roku. Yeah. I love him. I loved being able to see more of his backstory and what he went through training as an avatar and how he dealt with his relationship with Sozin and just everything. And the fact that he's been guiding Aang this whole time. While we did acknowledge the fact that his appearing in Aang's dream was a little sudden, a little yeah. weird yeah. for a start for an episode, I still need to acknowledge the fact that Even now, even through all that's happened, Roku is still looking out for him. He's almost been thoughtfully pacing things out because he even said, now is the time for you to learn about my past. It's now time for you to learn about what has happened in history. So it's got to be Roku. Yep. Avatar Roku, master storyteller, is pacing it out perfectly. (laughs) I also want to know. And no one answered me on this one. This is just me yelling at the world, at the universe at this point. Why is Roku always having Aang go places to learn things? Why can't he just say, like, do that there? (laughs) Because Aang's a kinesthetic learner or something. He's got to go do it to learn. (laughs) That makes sense. All right. That's that's my (laughs) headcanon now. Because of Aang's learning style, (laughs) he has to be at the place. Okay. Uh, I think I agree. I think the MVP is obviously Roku. Everything he had to do, like just seeing him grow up and mature and the decisions he had to make, like it would have been very easy for him to be like, yep, no, no problem. So and like, you're my best friend. I'm going to go with you. But he stuck to what he thought was right and what he knew was right. And he never wavered from that path. Yeah. Which echoes what 
Zuko said in last week's episode, The Beach, how he doesn't know what's right and wrong anymore. Right. And he's struggling with that. Right. Because Sozin always does what's wrong, apparently. Yep. And Roku always does what's right. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, what is your moral of the episode? Unless we remain vigilant, history will repeat itself. Yeah. That's a really good one. Despite the one that they said earlier in here, I think the moral of the episode for me is the best thing you can do for everyone else is knowing yourself. Yeah. I think that's it for me, where Zuko doesn't necessarily, or he didn't know his lineage, and that was a big part of who he is without knowing it. And now that he knows it, maybe he can wrap his head around it and he can kind of move on, you know, get over this anger, this this weird teenage anger that is also amplified by So's and that's also amplified by the confusion of, you know, Roku's influence without him even knowing. It's very like nature versus nurture in all of this. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like, as much as Avatar The Last Airbender is a story of destiny and following it and predestination, I think there's also a lot of a lot of like the the reverse of that, where Zuko is on this path. His destiny is to capture the Avatar, uh, sit by his father's side, be the hero of the Fire Nation. But something inside him is tearing him off that path. Yeah. So maybe the Avatar is not only a balance between the elements and the physical and spiritual world, but also a balance between predestination and free will. I like that. I like those parallels. And that means that's it for the episode. That's all of the content and time that we have for this particular yeah, episode. I have yeah. one small little thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe a small little little bow to tie up some loose ends. I did find out, and this warmed my heart, Mm -hmm. That Tom Min's love for Roku persisted even after his death, and she never remarried. She quietly lived out the rest of her life on Ember Island. That makes me happy. Yeah. But also sad at the same time. It's a balance between my happiness and sadness on that news, (laughs) some might say. Yes. Yes. But what a great episode. Gosh, one of my favorites. It really is up there. Like, it's such a deviation from what we've seen from the series, but it was a welcomed one. And now... After this, I feel like we're going to get right back with a plot team avatar and <laughs> yep. going forward. I feel like we haven't seen them in so long. I know it's been two episodes I where know. they've been the B plot. So yeah. it, it does feel like a long time. All I know is as we progress farther in this season, in this book, I am acknowledging it's going to be very hard to choose favorite episodes when we do our recap. Yeah, I think so, too. We'll see. We'll have to wait and see. Fortunately, that's a problem for future, Greg. I don't (laughs) have to worry about that. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation, tell us what you learned from this episode or who your MVP was, you can always email us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a five-star written review if you would like that read on the show over on Apple Podcasts. You could tweet at us at Podcast Avatar. And if you want to listen to, I, this is like the five, five millionth time I've said Patreon, but but <laughs> if you want to listen to their first episode of Secret Podcast or any ones that have come out after that, want to see some doodle pages, read some AMAs, some blog posts, you can do that over at patreon.com slash avatar the podcast. We mention it because there's good stuff over there. Oh, it's so good. I'm so happy with Secret Podcast. It's so good. Anyways. <laughs> And if you've done all of that and you're still looking for more, you can join me over at twitch.tv slash on Monday and Friday nights. Again, Friday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
We have Phone a Friend Friday, where I have one of my very uh, wonderful, talented content creator friends jump on a phone call with me. We answer some silly questions. We have time. Maybe we learn something about ourselves. Maybe we don't. It just kind of depends how it goes, but it's a great time. And you're all, you should all come. You're all invited. Awesome. It's, yeah. It is a good time. I recommend it. Yeah. You can find me online at Acorn Bandit. And you can also find me on joysons.com where I create enamel pins. And if you want to see all the links for all the things I do, you can go to joisans.com slash pages slash acorn. That's right. Coming up next time. Wanted, tough or alive. And the Combustion Man returns. All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar, the the podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. 